Hello, what's going on? Reinforced Running Podcast here. My name is Rich Ryan. I will be your host. Today we have Brian Showman. Brian is an OCR athlete, coach, physical therapist, and host of the Highly Functional Podcast. So in this podcast, we talk a lot about injury prevention. Brian has a great depth of knowledge when it comes to being the healthiest version of yourself and how to treat yourself holistically. We also talk about some in-depth stuff about how to train your feet, how to keep your feet healthy, how to uh, avoid things like plantar fasciitis and pronate tendonitis, some things that a lot of runners and OCR athletes are dealing with quite a bit. So awesome information. Really enjoyed this conversation. So we go deep on some things to really help you get the most out of your training and just to stay healthy. Cause I mean, that's the main deal, you know? So before we get into it, just a couple uh, things I want to talk about coming up this week, got some fun stuff coming for you. We got the fantasy draft coming up with Bracken Crocker and Jack Bauer. That'll be coming out probably on Wednesday where we're going to do the fantasy draft and a preview for the Spartan race Tahoe, the Noriam championships. For Spartan Race. And also coming on Reinforced Running YouTube, there's going to be a DecaFit uh, recap going over some of the videos and some different form stuff that on the race that we just ran this past weekend in New Jersey. So some cool stuff coming up. Make sure to hit us on the socials, Reinforced underscore running underscore rich, just to get all the updates on what we got going on. Cool. Here's Brand Showman. All right. Brand Showman's here. What's going on? How are you? I'm doing amazing. It's another beautiful day in here in Phoenix, so no complaints. Awesome. So I'm, I'm definitely, I'm excited to, to chat with you. You have a, a great background when it comes to training athletes and you're, you're working much more in this functional space, but your background is in uh, PT and we're going to talk a little bit about injury prevention. I think we have a, a lot that we can really dive into, but I figure we'll start at the bottom. And I know it's something that you're really, really passionate about and you think that it gets overlooked a lot. And we're talking about like the foot and the ankle. Um, and the foot seems like a really dynamic and important piece to our athletic performance. But, you know, it might just be something that we, as athletes, you might just like overlook because it, it's it's covered up. Like we don't feel them that much, even though it's like really, really important. So like, I know it's a big question, but like, why would, why exactly is the foot so important for athletes? And like, why do you think people are like overlooking it so much? Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. I, I have yet to figure out why people overlook it. Like it's literally the thing that's on the ground that we stand on. And yet like as clinicians, a lot of times physical therapists overlook it, chiropractors overlook it, coaches overlook it. Like it's kind of this extremity that's there that we just pretend isn't. And maybe it is because it's an issue. And so we don't think about it like that it actually has a function sometimes, but, um, but yeah, it's absolutely important to what we do. Essentially the foot is a foundation um, is what is what I love to say that, like think of a building. If it was on a weak foundation, that building's not going to hold up for very long. It's going to collapse. The foot's the exact same way. Like it's the bottom of you. So if that foot is weak, it collapses all the time. You like get a flat arch, whatever. Eventually something up the chain in your own building of a body is going to collapse, meaning it's going to get injured. So yes, I, I love that analogy and it makes sense, right? Like if you if you don't have the the pieces in place to support your structure it's like it's not going to be a very sturdy sturdy structure there and you mentioned like the like flat feet or it seems like feet are something that people feel they're they're they are born with right they're obviously born with feet <laughs> but uh like that there's nothing they can do about it right it's like oh this is what i have like i i, I don't necessarily know i don't think i need to put in work to help or fix this because this is just genetically what I, w- I was given um are you feeling do people give you that like are you having to kind of push back against that like can, cause you can, can you mold your foot to how you want it to be yeah most times i will say most times um there is a small percentage of the population who just structurally their bone structure it's a very flat foot and there's nothing they can do about it majority of the population though is not that way majority of the population um that foot collapses that arch collapses basically because people just don't know how to strengthen it. They don't strengthen it. And so it gets flat. It has nothing to do with genetics other than the fact that because your dad told like, you just watched your dad and this is how he was all the time. Like you just assume it's genetic. Right. Um, But yes, we can absolutely fix an arch. Um, I have a colleague actually here locally. He spent, I think it's over a three year span. He basically went down two shoe sizes because he went from a very flat foot to forming an arch and it shortened up his foot. 
I've heard uh, I've heard these these stories like when the Nike Free first came out. I remember Alan Webb was he was a Nike athlete, and the Nike Free they came with uh, foot strengthening exercises when they came out, which I think was kind of smart. I don't know if anybody listened to them, and eventually everybody wore those shoes just for fashion anyway. Right. But that was the start. That was the story behind Alan Webb is that he lost like a full size in his shoe because his foot shrunk because <laughs> it got, so, it got like tight, I guess. You form an arch and all of a sudden it gets shorter. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm sorry, I cut you off on that. <clears throat> yeah, so we can absolutely change the structure of the foot. And even if you don't change the structure that much, like I've worked with a lot of people who didn't necessarily see any change in their foot, but went from being able to like basically had pain constantly to being able to do everything without pain just by doing some things for their feet. So what does that look like, right? Because from traditional like strength training and you and I, we both speak like the CrossFit language. So we'll, we'll probably lean on that quite a bit. <laughs> it's like squats and deadlifts are like the main biggest lifts and like they're supposed to strengthen everything, right? And like it gives you this massive output that you need to do. So you really have to call on a lot of areas in your body, like from your calves down. If you do, if you do have enough squats, like you're, you'll feel it in your calves for sure. So is it enough to do heavy lifts like that? Or are you talking about more targeted strength, like more specific for like your arch, like your toes? Like what is it, what does it mean when you're talking about like these strengthening exercises for feet? Yeah, it's a little of both. First and foremost, anytime we're in shoes, our feet naturally aren't doing what they were meant to do. Um, like think if from being a toddler, like when we are a toddler and we start walking, we are put in socks, we are put in shoes. Think if that happened to your hands, like you're putting mittens and then you're putting something over those from when you were a toddler and that's all you were had function. Like hmm. our hands won't function well either. The feet hmm. are the same way. Anytime we're in a shoe, they aren't functioning like what they're meant to. So first and foremost, um, start doing some of your lifts, especially deadlifts. Cause we want our feet flat, like start doing your deadlifts without shoes on. Mm. Um, if your gym is not okay with you not wearing shoes or not wearing socks, like there's a lot of different shoes that are zero drop that you can get, um, to at least get yourself flat. But ultimately if we can get out of shoes when we're doing some of our lifts to, um, help us generate power, that will help. And that's a, that's a cool analogy with the, the gloves, putting gloves on your hands as soon as you're born. Cause like uh, to me, it immediately, immediately would be like, Oh, that would blunt your like proprioception, right? Like how well you would be able to feel. Like, I feel like you wouldn't have the same sensory output on like your hands. I don't know why I don't think that for your feet. How important is that for your feet? Are we like not able to feel as well because our feet are always covered and does that Correct. matter? It does. Um, so the way our body actually works is, um, especially when we're walking, standing, doing anything with our legs, we, our bodies like preemptively sense what's going to happen and allows our body, like part of our lower legs to kick in prior to our foot hitting the ground. For instance, when we put a shoe there, when we put a, a sock, yes, but primarily a shoe. So you mm -hmm. don't get any of that feedback from the ground. Um, you, your body doesn't learn how to like interpret or, um, I forgot the word I use now. Your body doesn't learn how to like prepare for that movement anymore. And so your muscle, your muscle firing is delayed. Um, that delay is part of what contributes to like increased fatigue when we're doing things or hmm. um, like muscle strains, things like that, because we're working those muscles harder because like they don't kick in as soon. So then they all of a sudden have to kick in faster and do more work. Hmm. So they're not preparing as well. To, to do the job that they need to do because the shoe's doing the shoe is doing a, a bad job of it right it's like it, it's put there to more or less respond but like it can't per, exactly um something else to note is our our nerve we have nerves on our feet well we never have the sensory nerves throughout our body but especially on our feet that sense vibration hmm. um every surface except for concrete every surface that we stand on gives a vibration back. And that's what our body like senses to prepare for. Um, when we have shoes, we don't feel that vibration there. So that's part of the reason too, that we don't get that natural vibration from the ground to, to help our bodies work better. Huh? We're literally just not connected to like, like, yeah, like that. Accurate. <laughs> huh. That, that's really interesting. So 
the being in a barefoot shoe would help with the, the strengthening piece. Would that help with the vibration piece too? Just cause it's less like foam in there. It, you would still, would you feel it at not as much or is it, is it just not reasonable to walk around without shoes? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like certain most environments you can't like, if I wanted to walk out here in Phoenix at 105 degree weather without shoes on, I'm going to burn my feet. Probably not the smartest right. in the middle of winter. <laughs> yes, I can do that. No problem. Um, so most times we are going to need to wear shoes, but that's also one of the reasons I say like, if you can work out without shoes on and do it safely, like start taking your shoes off when you're training. Cause you can get that feedback from the ground. Um, just be barefoot more at home. So your body can start sensing that. Um, hmm. but yeah, just protect our feet from the environment. Um, we do need to wear shoes, you know, at times and that doesn't hit at that vibration sense. That, um, Cassidy Nicholas, who was on the show before, who has a uh, Epic interval training. That's like their, that's like their deal. Their whole gym is based around not wearing shoes. That's awesome. It's like <laughs> interval based training without shoes on. And it's like, she was saying like, Oh, should we put, should we start to add shoes? And it's like, no, no shoes. We know it's better. And like, I think most strength and conditioning professionals do know that that's like being grounded and being able to feel through your feet is probably better for performance in general and just for strength. But yeah, it's just almost like a societal norm, right? It really is. I, um, there's a client of mine. She had said that she started wearing going barefoot at her gym and the owner finally said something to her. And I was like, yeah, I said, you're probably using the safety excuse. Even though shoes aren't really going to protect you if you drop a weight on your foot. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, no, she's like, no, his thing was he didn't want it to start being a thing. I'm like, I can guarantee you I'm like one of three people at my gym that go barefoot. And actually I'm the only barefoot one. Everyone else wears socks if they do have their shoes off. I'm like, it's not going to become a thing. People probably think it's gross, but like it's no, it's just as gross as your sweaty hands. Yeah. Right. Like, wouldn't it be like, yeah. I'm like, I, I, I really like, I'm not a person who like freaks out about like something on my feet or whatever. Like I know some people are, but I'm not. People got feet people. stuff. People got feet stuff. <laughs> some people do. For sure. So like looking at like the actual strength, like what kind of exercise are we talking about then? Like, what does it look like in practice? If I like, can give us a couple examples of what people could kind of do to, to strengthen them up. Yeah, absolutely. What I always start people with um, is two things. Um, and then there's, there is a third, but I need to explain the first two because it, it's something you can integrate to all of your lifts. Um, and that is first off, understanding the tripod of your foot. So your heel just below your big toe and just below the, your little toe of the ball of your foot is essentially your tripod. So just like a tripod for a camera, all three points should have equal weight on the ground when you're doing anything standing. Okay. So a lot of times when we do squats, we'll see people like compensate by just like leaning back more towards their heels or trying to get their knees out and rather than using their hips, their rotating to the outside of their feet, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, we want the tripod of the foot on the ground. Got it. And then from there, what we want to do is go into what's called a short foot exercise where we just gently push all the toes into the ground. So we're not curling them. We're just thinking like isometric contraction, very gently as if those toes are straight and we're just pushing them down. Mm-hmm. Which is hard to do because we're, we're always in shoot. Like to move that way and have them all move like it, that's hard. It really is. Yeah. Okay. And then the third third step or the third one then. So, um, short foot. And then you hear all different names like toe yoga and all this stuff for it, but essentially it's trying to isolate the movements of the toes. Mm. So what the three I always do is keeping the, all the small toes down, just lifting the big toe up. Once again, we want to keep that tripod. So we aren't doing it by like moving the foot itself mm. or standing, uh, ideally standing. Okay. It's harder standing. So sometimes people need to do it seated or assisted even to start. Okay. Um, so we got all the little toes down, big toes up, and then we're going to bring all the toes up and push just the big toe down. Okay. And once again, keeping those three points of the foot. And then from there, we do what I call piano toes, which is basically all toes up. And then we try to set them down one at a time from little toe to big toe. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm trying, I'm like trying to follow <laughs> I was just gonna say, sitting there trying. I'm trying to do it. That's why I was like, should we, should we be standing? I'm trying to do it. And like, it, that is a tough one. Like, I don't know which toe is going down or not. <laughs> so what kind of, what does that look like in terms of like sets and reps? Is it do, would you set a clock would be like do piano toes, like three 
reps of piano toes. Yeah. I normally tell people like up to like five cycles of it. Okay. Um, with that said, like if their toes are fatiguing after three, then stop at three. Like go to your fatigue point and don't try to work past that just because they're small muscles. They haven't been worked for a long time. Um, they might fatigue. You might notice they're cramping, um, mm. things like that. Just because once again, they haven't been worked for a long time. Yeah. What does the cramping cramping mean? Cause I'll do some specifics. I do like these nerve glide stretches and like some of the lower legs stuff. try to isolate the nerves. Like you gotta have point toes and curl them a certain way. And my foot will just kind of grab. What does that mean? In those circumstances, typically it's just the fact that those muscles don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. So it's like, you're putting them in this position, trying to make them do something that they're like, we don't know how to do this. So we're just going to tighten up really fast and try to like protect ourselves and protect our body uh-huh. um, just because like, it just doesn't understand what it's supposed to be doing. So it's almost just like the weakness, lack of motor planning. So like with practice and with, with progression, like that should go away. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So maybe if you do it for like, okay. So, cause I could see how that could be a barrier for some where it's like, they start to do them and it's like, Oh, I just, my foot cramped real bad. And I just, hated it and it scared me and, I just, <laughs> and now I can't do it because my foot cramps as opposed to building up to to allowing the muscles to understand like what they're supposed to be doing yes absolutely so I like the so is that same for all of those for the the so the tripod that should be just how we live correct right like you should always have those kind of points of of contact mm-hmm. yeah like even and like I noticed myself, granted, I was coming off of an injury. So I was more aware of like what my feet were doing and what compensation that I was doing after coming out of my boot. But I noticed I was washing dishes in the kit and just normally washing dishes. And I was always on the outside of my feet. Hmm. Like, and also I was like, why am I doing that? Let's get my tripod back. So a lot of time, like we just do things without realizing it just because it's our habit. So yeah, anytime you're standing, just really kind of be a attentive to where your feet are. And if you're on that tripod and if you're not, just reset your feet and get them there. And that example, what do you think it was as simple as just like, just not paying attention? Or do you think there was a reason, like if you run up the chain, was there some reason why you felt more comfortable outside of the tripod? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I initially did discover was, um, I think just because of compensations I had developed from when I was in the boot, both of my glute me glute men, had a lot of trigger points in them. So my feet weren't huh. actually firing correctly yet. Oh, so did you then, were you able to kind of reconcile that through the tripod or were you then have to kind of go back and into the glutes? I uh, had to needle both my hips, dry needle both my hips to get those trigger points to release. And then after that, the feet felt a lot better. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, okay. And, and then the short foot's a great one. That's definitely one that I've practiced with. And it, it that one feels because uh, a lot of like a lot of times with these little like the toe yoga and the pianos, like you probably get you'll probably get fatigued, right? And like it'll become a little bit more difficult, but it still doesn't feel like doesn't feel like doing squats. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like you know, like it doesn't feel like anything has been accomplished really. But the short foot, it kind of does. Like it yeah. feels like you a lot of tension, a lot of like like nervous system energy to go into that. It's going to press really hard. So I actually do really like that one because it feels productive. Yeah. And if you actually add that little bit of that short foot into your squats and deadlifts or any of your lifts, Ah. um, actually like that's when a lot of the people I work with and this kind of will help a lot of people too, who like don't feel their glutes firing when they're doing certain things that should be firing their glutes or like when you just hear people like I can activate them. Um, Most people, once I get them activating their feet properly, it gets those turning on. So interesting. Um, it, a lot of times if we can activate our feet, right. With those lifts, we can actually gain more power with our lifts too. Huh? I've heard some similar things about that with, um, like in, with examples, like, uh, your pinky, you can kind of like engage your lat a little bit more. If like you pull your pinky down a little bit harder, like doing kettlebell swings or something like breaking the bar, right. Uh-huh. Uh, that they can kind of feel that and like squeezing the bar too on like squats or something like that. Just kind of help engage a little bit more. Um, that's interesting. Throwing some short foot in the deadlift and squats. I will try it. I will try it. <laughs> I will. Um, so it's, I, I'd be remiss to not talk about plantar fasciitis when we're talking about the feet, uh, especially for endurance athletes, long distance runners. This is like, can be like a career ender, right? Like this one is just so hard to deal with. And it's really, it's been like, I'm not a PT, right? But I talk to a lot of runners and, that, and like 
they get injured. They ask me, it's like, got this plantar fasciitis, what should I do? And I'm just like, I have no idea. It's like one person told me, one person told me one thing that did that work. Another person told me something else. And like, it seems so sporadic and like random for what gives it to people, how people get over it. And like, sometimes rest doesn't even do it. And so I'm sure you've handled your fair share of PF cases. So what is just like your take? Like, what should people do if they, if they feel the onset of like PF coming on and like, what does it feel like? Because it, it can be, you know, people start to start to feel pain and that will progress. You know, I think they can catch that a little bit early, but what does it feel like? What should people do when they start to feel that coming on? Yeah. Um, I do want to address what, it, what it feels like first, just from the fact that I feel it's very overdiagnosed from a lot of people I talk to, um, huh. with true plantar fascia, um, issues, it's pretty pinpoint pain uh, right around that heel area. Um, most are worse, like when we're getting out of bed in the morning or after you've been sitting for a while. Um, I, I often just see like any pain on the bottom of the foot or even the side of the foot, just like being thrown under this plantar fascia term. And a lot of times it's not, um, plantar what, is, fascia. What, what would that be like? Yeah. What are people confusing it with? Yeah. So I've had, um, like peroneal tendonitis stuff misdiagnosed as it. Um, There's a lot of just smaller muscles that sit under that plantar fascia between the bones and the plantar fascia. A lot of times it's more of those muscles um, having issues. So those Hmm. are the two primary things that I find that it's more often one of those issues rather than actual plantar fascia. Got it. Got it. So that can we talk about, we'll talk about that peroneal tendonitis next then, because that's another one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So now that people kind of have an idea, yeah, that's the clear one, right? Like waking up in the morning and and hobbling to the bathroom or something like that's, that's the, that's the the main thing. Uh, So, so then what, like, what should people do? Yeah. You know, and here's the tough part, because with any injury, there's a specific cause. It's not like all plantar fascia is caused by issue A, like Mm -hmm. it's caused by one of 100 issues. So it's always, and which is also why it's like one thing works for one person, but it doesn't work for the other. Cause it's not the same cause. So, um, rest will help with the symptoms, but it's not going to cause the issue. Like, because you never took care of whatever that cause is. So I always suggest with any injury, like getting into, especially if you're a runner, getting into someone who works with runners, physical therapist, chiropractor, someone who works with running, understands the running technique, understands um, like what goes on with the body each and every time our foot hits the ground, understands like how everything in that chain is connected because so many different issues could be contributing to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. So it can be mechanical a lot more than just like overuse or something. A lot of times it is mechanical. Um, a big one, just because it's such contributors to so many injuries and without getting into the whole, like, is there a perfect way to run debates? I don't want to get in that debate necessarily, but the more someone heel strikes, the more just increased forces, increased stress and strain it puts through the entire posterior chain, that entire leg. So that heel strike, um, straight leg in front of us is a huge contributor to a lot of injuries, including mm-hmm. issues. Right. Yeah. And like you could run that way and not get injured for sure and run fast, but like a lot of people can't. <laughs> you know, right. so, yeah. So I think that that's important. Yeah. We like, and that's not uh, like, it, that could be the the cause for a lot of different things. Do you find that in the the peroneal tendonitis as well? It's like similar type of ca- causing for that's that one is tough. Any type of tendonitis I've found is another one that is really hard. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to lump it in with Achilles tendonitis, but just like we're just talking about lower leg stuff and like just these kind of chronic pain type of things that are seem somewhat random. Like the pain isn't always consistent and kind of can kind of come and go. Uh, what is it, would you recommend the same type of thing when with most of these like soft tissue, lower leg injuries, is it just going to be like, Hey, let's focus on the mechanics. And then, and then aside from like treating the actual symptoms of like the pain. Yeah. It always comes down. Like any injury is going to come down to mechanical at some point. Um, perennial tendonitis. I don't contribute as much to running technique necessarily um, because of the function of them they really control our foot from like rolling either way mm-hmm. help control that. So anytime, like if you are someone who we do want a little bit of pronation, I do want to preface that part. We do want a little bit of pronation when we run, we need that. 
But if you're someone who severely overpronates, every time that foot comes back to straight, we're increasing strain on that. If you're someone who runs on the outside of your foot, we're increasing strain on that. Um, If you don't have good hip control and so you're getting a leg kind of collapsing in, you're getting increased strain on that. So it comes that um, perineals tend to be more from like rotational forces. And that pain can run up the outside of your ankle, right? Just so people are clear on what we're talking about. It's like it can be underneath your foot. Runs up the side of that lower leg. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they'll – Tell me they have a calf strain, but then they're pointing to that outside. That's more the perineals. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. And like, so that makes sense. So if, so that might just be a strengthening issue, right? Like if there's too much motion in that pronation part of the stride, like that might just be, it could be mechanical, but it could also be like strengthening. And that could be a, a lot of strength issues with that. Yeah. And, and probably what you're talking about before, like not being your, your brain, not being ready to prepare to deal with the impact of the ground because we're just covering it up. So maybe just like a proprioceptive thing too, even. Absolutely. What's up with Achilles tendonitis? Since we're last one on this, but <laughs> I want to knock them out. Is it this, like, what do you, what do you typically contribute that to? Um, Running mechanics is another big one for that. And landing on that straight leg, it just requires, it takes so much force. I think it's something like, 15%, if I remember right, the Achilles, 15% more force going through our Achilles on a straight leg versus when it's landing more midfoot underneath us. Hmm. Um, so Achilles is a big part there. Um, the other thing with Achilles is we just need to think like, why is that muscle being overworked? So a lot of times like ankle mobility issues will cause increased, um, like the calf has to work harder to make it move. The anterior tib has to work harder to pull that leg up. So we get a lot of these in these types of forces too. So a lot of times I'm going to look at ankle mobility as a factor mm. for that too, because it has to work harder. Mm. Got it. Okay. I've had all of these. They're all terrible. So <laughs> I'm glad we got it there. So you mentioned the pronation piece and overpronation, and that kind of leads leads us well into talking about footwear because if anyone has gone to maybe a run specialty shop and I've worked in run specialty for a decade, right? And I've probably, I've said these words so many times. I've watched people kind of walk and do this and put people in shoes based off of very, very little information and mostly information that comes from like the footwear designers. And I've worked on that side too. Like I've been on both sides. So I kind of like, I know how people get shoes on their feet, but and I personally, I've run in all of them, right? Like I have minimal shoes, I have maximal shoes. I have the shoes with the carbon plates and I'm like, I have a whole bunch. So how, where in line for like the pecking order of importance, would you put like the footwear that you're, that you're like prescribing for people? Because it seems like, you know, talking about wearing less shoes while lifting um, is important. Um, but for running, how do you, how do you approach that? Like, what is that? What's your general philosophy on something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I do want to preface, I actually, I did work in a running store when I was in PT school. So I've done all the like, which one, uh, a local one here. And and, I know, I know, I know global running stores, no mall, but, (laughs) um, anyway, so, um, okay. So you, you've seen that side too. I've seen that side. I ran, I mean, I started running before the minimalist shoes came out. So of course I started running in regular shoes. So I've ran through all different brands. Um, so I've been there, done that. Um, and the biggest thing I want to point out is no shoe is perfect for everybody. That's why the questions that go up on forums and groups and like what shoe should i buy <laughs> drive me nuts isn't that ridiculous and then everyone comes in with their own anecdotal stuff the best ones are these ones it's like no one's like i've tried those they're no good I'll try these ones it's like this is just the worst conversation right. this is so silly why would you ask this song? never ask that question please. don't put that on facebook reddit none of them terrible you'll get terrible answers um but i think a big thing to, um, to point out that a lot of people kind of overlook is like all of these big shoe companies put all this new technology in shoes constantly and they throw all their marketing at it. But at the same time, we have just as many running injuries every single year as the year prior. And so obviously technology in shoes is not solving the problem whatsoever. Um, So in my opinion, it's always going to be better to get the foot stronger, get yourself to more of a zero drop minimalist type shoe if you can. Now I understand not everyone's comfortable doing that, um, but 
just because the foot functions better, it um, gets your foot in a better position on the ground. So you like just naturally you're going to run better. Um, I was going to put some, some of that too. Oh yeah. Um, anytime you have a drop in a shoe, it's automatically going to force you to heel strike. So if you are trying to improve your running to get more of a midfoot strikes, so you're off that heel, a drop in a shoe is not going to allow you to do that. It's going to force you to heel strike. It just puts more like, yeah, there's more, you ha- you're adding a heel to you. So it's like more likely you'll hit the heel first. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thing to point out with shoes, um, the more cushion that's on them, the more prone you are to rolling your ankle. Our, hmm. We need to feel that ground for those pro- for proprioceptors to respond. If we can't feel that ground, then you're more likely to roll that ankle. So the more cushion you have, the more likely you are to roll your ankle, regardless of what type of terrain you're on. So that is another thing. Like if someone's prone to ankle sprains, probably not the greatest to be in a lot of cushion. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and like, uh, I, I would say, you know, it's, I don't think the footwear company's goals are to have people run healthy, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, it's not, like, so yeah, we can't rely on the shoes and the shoe companies to do that. Cause that's not what they just want people to run at all you know, and then giving them the, the tools to do so. And like, if you are new to it and it like hurts and you hurt your joints, like, yeah, a nice cushion shoe, you're probably gonna be more likely to run in than a minimal shoe right off the jump. So I think that's where they, and then they're just kind of keeping up with competition and everything. So, yeah. um, but to get into a minimal shoe, cause I've done this, uh, process and it's somewhat painful. It's not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have like a prescription for like, how people should kind of get there? Like, is there steps that you recommend people take so that they can um, work themselves into, you know, a Merrill or, uh, or, or whatever zero drop shoe that they, that they choose? Yeah. You know, there's a couple different ways to do it. I'll tell you my preferred way and then we'll kind of, then I can go into the other way too. But my preferred way for people is to gradually, like basically almost like we do in increasing mileage, we increase like 10 ish percent a week type thing. Do the same thing with your shoes. So if you're going to go into a minimalist shoe, if you're going to run, like basically for that first week, you're going to run 10% of your miles in those shoes. So maybe you're just doing like a half a mile around, like little loop. You're going to go back home, switch your shoes, and then go back out for the rest of your run. If you do that week, great, without without pain, without any issues, next week, bump it up 20%. If you get to a point that's like, nope, end of that week, I was more sore, like it just wasn't feeling right. Keep at that that same mileage until you can do it comfortably, and then you can increase it up again. But just gradually, like just following that ten percent rule for the most part to transition into those shoes. Yeah, I like that, and that's very practical, right? It's like making sure that you're not doing damage to to yourself in that because um, sometimes it's just it's and it's uncomfortable, you know, at first. So it might not even be residual pain; it might just be immediate pain that people might not like that might shy away from. So what kind of pain is normal for something like what kind of, if someone's feeling something, maybe after a, a, they do, maybe they go a little bit longer one day and the next day they're not feeling great. Like what's appropriate pain, what's inappropriate pain to feel from something like this? Yeah. So what was going to happen if you've overworked anything is you're essentially, so all of the muscles in our toes are like really small tendons and muscles that then go up the like back of the lower leg. So typically what you're going to feel is just like increased tightness in that lower leg area. Uh-huh. Almost like you've like just done a ton of hill repeats and like your calves are blown up. You're basically going to have that sort of feel. So you're just going to want to wait till that kind of calms down a little bit. Okay. So like calf soreness is normal. Yeah. Right. And but I is do there- want to say too, as you're transitioning, you do want to be doing the foot strengthening type things because if you're working to transition, but you don't have good foot strength, it's going to take a lot longer to make that transition too. Got it. Yeah. I like that. Um, and one thing with this, it's, so would you recommend, cause for performance, right? Like if you're running on the road, like a zero drop shoe with no cushioning is going to be slower than the alpha flies. Like it's just going to be right. So you do, do you recommend that people train in one and race in a a separate one for performance? Is that like, or is it important? Or do you think that your performance could catch up if like your body is trained well enough that you should be able to perform at like the highest level? I think it depends on the terrain you're racing on. Um, Hmm. 
like for instance, here where I'm at, like there's a ton, like even if you're on the asphalt, like some of the rocks may have from the yard may have gotten on the street. Like if you hit hard on an minimal shoe on one of those rocks, like it hurts. So I run a little more cautious on them. Um, if I'm going to go on a trail run and I'm going to be more in the desert where I like literally feel my feet are like bruised when I get done, if I'm in my minimalist shoes, I'll wear my ultras. So mm. I think a lot of it does depend on terrain. Like if you're just on concrete the entire time, or you know, you're on asphalt, or you're just like in the, like if I was in the Midwest, I probably wouldn't have an issue. Um, so I think that plays a lot more into it than it does anything else. Got it. Yeah. I was going to ask about like ultras, a shoe that is zero drop, but with, higher stacked cushion is that just like the next like the uh, uh the next best alternative just for like foot protection yeah it's still i love the zero drop i love the the shape of like it follows that natural shape of the foot which is what i love about it too um because of the cushion it is a little bit of a stiffer shoe than what a minimalist shoe is but um to get your foot moving as natural as possible but still a little bit of cushion is it's going to be one of the better options they feel great. I love them. I think yeah. ultras are great. Yeah. That's what um, I wear on anything over three miles on the trails here. I have to wear ultras. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, so we've talked a lot about, about pain in, in general, right? It's been like, you know, kind of a through line of this whole conversation. And, you know, I, I think about different ways to potentially handle pain. And I think when I was younger, I would just kind of like hope it would go away or would just push to the point that eventually I would get shut down. Uh, and as I've gotten older, I've like started to understand that maybe my body's trying to communicate something to me and there I need to pay a little bit more attention and not just like tough it out or just like, you know, Oh, whatever. Like I can, I can continue to push. Um, but it's still really hard to pinpoint exactly like what, is happening or what my body is trying to tell me. So when it comes to like pain management, it seems like there's a million different like products and strategies and things to kind of help people just manage what's happening, but maybe not without knowing completely what's going on. And I find that it's just difficult in general. So like, what is, what does pain mean to you? And like, how do you kind of manage and handle pain when you start to kind of feel it? Yeah, that's a great question. So pain essentially like it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It just is a thing. It's basically our body giving us information that something needs attention. Um, and then it's just a matter of figuring out what needs attention and what do we need to do? Um, so some of this does just take a lot of gaining awareness of you, your body, what, what your body feels like. Um, like it may just be, you know what? you had a heavy workout, like maybe did the hard deadlift workout the day before and your hamstrings are just blown up and you just need a couple days to rest your hamstrings and you're going to be good to go. Or maybe you are developing a little bit of a tendonitis and it's like every time, like you feel okay once you get moving, but every time you stand up and put a little stretch on that tendon, you're feeling it. So a lot of it is really learning your body, becoming aware and really trying to figure out um, like what you're feeling when you're feeling it. Um, and it may not be something that you're able to like totally sort out as far as like what it means. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that you can reach that people can reach out to just be like, Hey, like I'm feeling this. Is this something that needs to get checked out? Or is this something that I just need a couple days of rest and I'll be good to go? Yeah. It's so hard from that perspective to really, really kind of grasp what's happening. It seems like, Oh, it's, there's not like the body is in, in, extremely complicated, but we, figure, we, we should know more than we know at this point. We just, <laughs> right? we just don't. It's like, I don't know what that could be. I read this awesome analogy just the other day. It was like, uh, when it related to like the nervous system. Um, and I think like what you're saying a little bit, like, you know, doing heavy deadlifts, you might just be fried. So what you're feeling, it might just be some, some nervous central, uh, nervous system fatigue or whatever. But like, it says like your muscles are, your are like light bulbs, like your bones, tendons, and your fascia are like the light fixtures and your nervous system is the electricity. So it's like, no matter what's happening on the fixtures or the bulb, like if the nervous system's out of whack, then everything is going to be like out of proportion. So do you do, do much to handle or address the nervous system? And I think this is something that is some practitioners are talking about a little bit more, but I'm not sure how much it's kind of gotten into like the PT world. Are, Are people talking about the nervous system much? Uh, it depends on who you talk to, but it's starting to get out there. Um, 
for instance, I talked to someone a while back. Actually, I think it was at a con ed course I went to that a lot of hamstring strains are actually L5, not firing, huh. right? Or delay in L5 firing. So um, there are a lot of, and um, like I've had, I worked with a client a while back, knee pain. We couldn't reproduce anything in his knee. We addressed his low back of the same nerve um, roots that would innervate the knee and that's what cleared it up. So we do have to always look into, um, as clinicians, we always have to like at least keep that in the back of the mind. And if we can't reproduce it by doing something with that extremity itself, then we need to look somewhere else and see where it might be coming from. Hmm. So you feel like it might be something that will be emerging a little bit more. Was that taught really when you were going through school? Were they, te- were they talking about this stuff much? Not a ton. No. Unfortunately. What are your thoughts? <laughs> do you, do you think it's like something that we should be looking into more or is it because it's weird, right? Like if you're doing things that are focused toward your nervous system, it's like, like, uh, I've gone to like, um, NKT. Have you ever done, done like NKT or anything like I that? I know of it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's like wizardry. It's so bizarre. Like how the different movements are like, they, the guy told me to think of something that was like harmful and it made me weaker in my leg or something like that. It was like just weird stuff. So it's like hard to really grasp what's going on there, but it seems like something. Yeah. You know, the way I kind of view it is, well, at least from the athlete perspective, like for me, I take a, a different view because I have just a little more knowledge on injuries, but from the athlete perspective, like, if you're going to see someone or you are just doing your own self-care and you're not getting results with the area you're addressing, like that's when it's time to look somewhere else. Like if you're going to someone and all they are doing is addressing the knee and you're having knee pain, it's not getting better. Probably time to either go to somewhere, someone else or make sure your clinician is looking above or below or at the back or somewhere else to see what's triggering it. Okay, great. Yes. I have a follow up on that. And this kind of leads perfect to something else I, w- I did want to talk about because um, earlier this year I got hurt. Like I just was hurt and like, I couldn't run. I couldn't do any, I couldn't really do much. And then I, just cause there was so much pain, I could do some other stuff. I could like lift, I could row and that was fine, but I never really went and I never got it checked out. I went to a PT, uh, like, and they just had me do some stuff that was just like strengthening things. Like, oh, I can do this on my own. And like two different people told me two different things within that same practice. And then I just went on and I was like, well, I don't really care what this is because I'm assuming the treatment is going to be the same is just like rest and do things that aren't going to bother it. But a lot of times athletes do seem to get fixated on like trying to know what it is, right? Like I need to just figure this thing out, even though it might not necessarily change anything. So like how important to you is like the diagnosis of like what an injury actually is? You know, I have that conversation with people a lot. Like in my mind, it doesn't matter. Like right. okay. if you're treating, Good. like, I don't care if you have a strained MCL, like I'm going to treat the symptoms that have caused that. Um, yeah. And at the end of the, I mean, I've had my own injuries. I'm like, I still have no answers to what it actually was, but we treated what the issues were going on and they cleared up and we're fine. So yeah, most time at times I do want to know just because I'm like, we need to make sure like something major is not going on before we do anything else. So like always one clear fractures, like we want to make sure there's no stress fracture if we're going to start doing stuff, things like that. Um, but for the most part, if there's not any risk of us doing further damage by continuing to train and push through or like do rehab, that sort of thing at the end of the day, diagnosis doesn't really matter. What's that conversation like when you're having it with people? Because like, I mean, I could kind of tell people that, but I'm just like some guy, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, don't worry about it. And people are like, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. It's like, but I think of it the same way. It's like, if you're doing all the things that would help it get better anyway, like, does it matter what, like, do you just want to tell people what's going on? Like, why do you think people want to know? And how do you kind of steer that conversation? Or like, how do you try to convince them that like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I don't know why so many people just want, I think a lot of times when things aren't, especially when things aren't getting better, like when things aren't getting better, ultimately in my mind, the root cause just hasn't been addressed yet. But I think for a lot of people, if things are getting better, it's like, oh, well, something worse must be going on and I need to find out why. Um, 
And so I think there's a lot of that underlying, like, well, there must, like, I still have pain. So there must be something there deeper that I need to figure out. So I think that's part of it that, that happens. Um, a lot of the conversations I have with people though, is, um, there's a lot of different studies that they've done for different joints that taken images of pain-free populations. They found labral tears, meniscal tears, disc things, you name it. Um, but they're pain-free. So I'm like, hmm. at the end of the day, even if you have this diagnosis, we don't even know if that's what's even causing your pain. Hmm. Because all these pain-free people are walking around with the same issue. Will that lead people down different roads then? It's like, well, I have this, so it, like I have this pain, so it must be, must be this. Or do you think they're just getting their own heads about what's actually happening versus like just living, just like dealing, like understanding how they're feeling. I think it can limit people. Um, whether it's a limiting belief of like, Oh, well I have this now. So I have to be careful of doing X, Y, and Z, or it gives them almost an excuse for like why they might delay, be delayed on getting better. Like, I think it just kind of gives people an, an easy out. Yeah. Um, the other conversation I have with people a lot, especially when we're dealing with extremities, um, the back, not so much, but with extremities is like most times they're going to take an image of just the injured side, not the other side. Mm. Like if it's a rotator cuff tear, guarantee you they're both, both sides are going to show like damage. If you're like over the age of 30, just because of the things we do in our day to day life. So I always put that perspective out to people too, is like, who's to say the other side doesn't look the exact same way. That's interesting. That's interesting. Oh, I never thought about it. It's like, yeah, what's the whole story here? They're like, what's really going on? Like, that doesn't hurt. Huh. So, and this is along the same lines of something that you mentioned before in terms of like trying to find or going elsewhere if the, like things aren't going the way that you're, you're hoping, right? If they're not, or if you're, if they're just not like the practitioner's not receptive to any ideas that you have. And I don't even know if that's something that a, a practitioner should be open to is like catching all this in like all these ideas that people uneducated, less than educated people got from the internet and that are then spewing at like someone who like sees this all the time and, and knows better. But how long should someone like stick around with somebody who they might not trust or they don't feel like they are getting served well when it comes to like something like that? Yeah. You know, in my opinion, we should not that you're going to be pain free, but we should at least be seeing some results within two weeks. Okay. Like if you're not seeing any results within two weeks, especially if like, it's one thing if the clinician's like, all right, after a couple visits, we aren't like really making progress. How about we go look at this area instead or like look deeper. But if you're going like you've been there two to three weeks, no results, and you're still doing the same exact stuff every single day. Like that's my point that I'm like time to cut it off, time to find someone else. Cause if they're not looking somewhere else and you're not making progress, like something's being missed. Okay. That's interesting. That's shorter than I thought, but it's good to know, right? Like, cause you're like, I've only been to like one or two like PTs really. And like, so I don't know what the expectation should be. So it's interesting that to like, you know, kind of expect a little bit more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying you're pain free in two weeks, but you should at least be noticing some, some progress. Yeah. yeah. So I have a gripe with a uh, physical therapist overall. And too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in my experience and from, from what I told about my injury uh, before and from basically every runner who goes to see a PT, they're told that they have weak glutes. And I don't know if that is just this epidemic that's going on. That is every runner has weak glutes or if every person has weak glutes, or if it's just that a physical therapist, hears the word runner, sees some sort of, here's something that some pain in the lower body and I'm like, well, probably weak glutes. So what, why, why is it weak glutes all the time? What's going on with the weak glutes? Awesome. You know, I, I'm glad you brought this conversation up. I've actually done several blog posts about this because it drives me nuts. Um, so there's two, th I have two theories on it. And I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. One, we're going back to that foot again. If you can't activate that foot, right, you can't activate those glutes, right? Like there's so much co-contraction between those two. 
that the foot does play a huge role in it. So, um, like there's, I actually was just working with someone yesterday that was just like, push your big toe into the ground when you're doing your squats. And she did a couple. I was like, do you feel any different? She's like, yeah, I felt like loose firing. So Hmm, she can actually feel it. mm -hmm. So foot activation is a huge part of it. If we don't know how to use our feet, right? We aren't going to be able to use our glutes, right? The other thing that plays into it is just years and years of habits and postures and things that we've created in ourselves. So um, you're in the CrossFit world, so you'll understand this. Like think about people doing like an RDL or just a simple hip hinge. Like how many people don't actually push their hips back and just kind of like oh, bend, around their bend back. forward? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're like, there's no glute activation happening with that. Like most people, it's not a matter of that they, they like have weak glutes. It's the fact that they've created motor patterns for their body that doesn't activate them. So if we can teach them how to actually move to engage the glutes, it automatically turns like activates them. This is like, this is perfect, right? Because it's the difference between strength and activation and movement patterns. They're like not the same thing. Yeah. Like I went to the PT and they're like, yeah, it's probably weak. It's like, you didn't test anything about my strength. You did nothing. You just like heard pain and like, they're like, yeah, it's probably weak. Glutes. And this but, is also, and you put a, a good point there too, is that this is why people just doing like banded isolation, clam shells, yeah. bridges, like doing all that stuff totally annoys me because I'm like, cool. Like you can have the strongest glutes, but if you don't know how to use them when you're actually standing up and functioning, like it's not going to matter. It is it, 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 exactly. So like, so what should everyone do when they hear that? Right. Cause then that's the exercises that they get. Right. It's like, okay, cool. Like we'll do like banded, banded side steps or that's a little bit better, but like, you know, clamshells, isolated ones, whatever that, where would you kind of redirect them? Would you push them back into the, the, the foot one, like the short foot and the toe pianos, is that kind of where you would want people to see, or is there, or would it be doing things like kettlebell swings where it's going to be a little bit more uh, dynamic movement? Yeah. So I'm always going to start, um, well, typically with my runners, unless they're like literally just out of surgery and they can't put weight on their leg, I'm going to get them standing. Like there's no reason they need to be doing laying down exercises. Um, so I'm always going to start with foot activation just because it's so important for everything from there. A lot of times I'm just going to teach them how to do a basic hip hinge and understand like how to hip hinge properly without using like the back and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, so they at least start to feel what firing those activating those glutes feels like, um, getting them in, in a single leg position, pushing those feet into the ground. Like, can they feel like what their, their glutes actually like, kicking in when they're just standing on a single leg because until they can feel that they aren't going to be able to even feel anything when they're running yeah the hip hinge that's uh it's like a whole challenge too right because it's like it's almost hard to be like no no don't don't bend forward but it's like push your butt back what's like a good drill that you have for people to do stuff like that because i like when i was working with people in person i mean that's the first thing basically every person that comes in who's just like general pop population needs to work on before we can do anything it's like okay we need to learn this movement before you're doing squats or anything yeah one i the one i always go to to is that it really like just gives that tactile feedback on if they're moving their spine or not is pvc pipe dowel rod broomstick whatever you have along the back of your spine um with three points of contact the back of your head between your shoulder blades and your tailbone basically mm going into that hip hinge. And when you go into that hip hinge and come out of it, you want to keep those three points of contact. They should not move. If they move, you're either rounding your back or arching your back. So you round your back, your head will come off. If you arch your back, the mid back will come off. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, that'll be interesting. Huh? Yeah. The weak glutes thing. Every, every <laughs> single runner, no matter what. It's not weak glutes. Just not knowing how to use them. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think going with you. What's, uh, what are some of your goals this year? How is, uh, how's training and, and competing and all? You got anything coming up? Um, I just got out of a three-day competition, Labor Day weekend, three-day CrossFit competition. Um, how was it? It was awesome. It was the first time I've gone to anything of that level. Um, and I, I did really well. It was 
it's probably the least nervous I've ever been at any sort of competition or race is because I went in with like no expectations. Cause I'm like, these are like games. Some of these are games level athletes. Like I know who I'm going up against here. Um, but it was super good. I never went out of, I never left an event feeling like I didn't do enough or I could have done better. So I was super excited with how I did. There it was a great learning experience for me. Nice. How are you um, feeling after that? I've only done a handful of CrossFit competitions and they like, light me up they crush me are you beat up i actually surprisingly wasn't overly sore afterwards um i it took my body about a week to like feel normal again um as far as like energy and like cns wise but um like just moving around the body actually felt really good nice Um, i use a lot like I use Venga. I use power insoles. I have a lot of stuff that I use for recovery purposes, which I think really helped. Um, what are the power insoles? Yeah, they're super cool. Actually. Um, they, they go on primarily they go, they're made to go on your feet. They can go on anywhere that has pain, but they work on basically healing your body on a cellular level. Huh? And so like, I just wear them overnight. Actually, I tape them to my feet, wear them overnight. Um, and so it just helps with improving the recovery of the body. Are they just um, like socks? Or what you, like, well, no, let me, they're a little like inch and a half by two inch, like square thing. Okay. They're made to actually go to be worn in shoes, but we know I don't wear shoes a ton. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear them in my shoes, um, but they're made to actually go um, just in the shoe and, um, it's, there's some really cool research behind it. If you go to the website, you can look at all the research. But um, yeah, it basically works on like the mitochondria and the cell, which are energy um, systems of our cells, to um, help with repair of the cell and system recovery. Nice. I'll so, look into that. Yeah. So I mean, it's always worth. There's so many gadgets and stuff that it's always, it's worth just like trying them all a little bit, even even though like. We're not quite sure. Yeah, um, that's one of those things. Like, I, I test things out just to kind of see if it works, and if it doesn't, then I stop using it. And if I feel a big change and notice a big difference, then I keep using it. And it, that's one that I've noticed a big difference between, like, recovery of training sessions for sure. Hmm. Interesting. I uh, just started using these things, like called um, like Firefly. They are kind of like an e-stem, but you put it on like your like right below your knee, and it's supposed to stimulate a nerve that like shoots down and like you put it right below your knee, and it shoots and it like sends a pulse and makes like your foot kind of jolt. Okay, I don't like there are studies I haven't read them. I should, I will, but <laughs> uh, but, but it, it it just feels it feels good and it feels better. And I don't know if it's placebo, yeah. but it just feels nice and, and good when it's done. It's one of those things too. If I saw that, I'd be like, that doesn't that doesn't work, but trying it i'm a big fan of venga that's my cbd of choice for yeah, sure it's awesome. for sure um so you recover pretty well what do you got next i'm doing an online qualifier for legends right now what's that um legends is another it's a master's crossfit competition in san diego in december so i'm doing oh, nice. a qualifier for that right now online qualifier and then i have a local comp in crossfit again in november that's um it's at my gym but it's like crazy legit we get people from out of state coming for it um we have some games athletes coming for it so um it's gonna be super fun and then the week after that i have ragnar trail oh cool is that local it is nice nice so you're mixing up you got a couple different things here there uh how about the coaching business what do you got going on there you have uh are you taking new clients and who you who are you looking to work with yeah that's a great question i am taking new clients um my ideal client is the person who has been injured for months, if not years, has seen multiple conditions, has not gotten answers, has not had found results. Um, like those are the people that I love to work with. Cause then we really get to like, they've had all the hands-on stuff. Now it's just like, what is your body doing? What is your body not doing? And how do we like make it move better? So you're not no longer having pain. So, um, typically, um, obstacle course racers and runners are who I primarily work with. And, nice. uh, yeah, it's awesome. Cool. So, where, and where can people find you? Where the we got we got um, the highly functional podcast, which people can catch you on, and then um, oh, you just had John Gold Goldthorpe on. Nice. Yes, it was a couple like maybe a week or so ago he was released. Yeah, he was the guy who did the NKT on me. Okay, I was wondering who he was. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's great. He was like really smart. He like blew my mind a couple of times. Um, and where else can people kind of find if they want to reach out? Yeah, my website is getyourfixpt.com. Um, I do a weekly blog post, so there's tons of just free information on there. Um, I rant a lot about all the stuff that people aren't talking about, and it's super fun. Um, and then otherwise, Instagram, I am the OCR doc. Cool. Perfect, man. Well, I appreciate you popping on. It's super fun, really informative. I'm glad we got to touch on a lot of these things. So, yeah, this is us just signing off. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is fun. <laughs>